Good morning. My name's Smiley. I'm one of the pastors here at Good News, and so thankful that you're here to worship with us today. If you're here for the first time or you're new or never filled out the Connect card, would really encourage you. If you would take one from the seat back in front of you and fill it out, that would be hugely helpful. It would help us to better connect with you. At the end of the service, you can put it in one of the black boxes in the back. And there are some opportunities on here to take a next step. If uh, today's the day you put your faith in Christ, we'd love to know that. Or maybe you'd like to have lunch with a pastor. I'd love a chance to meet with you and hear your story and and maybe answer any questions you might have about our church. You might uh, check that and put it in the box. We're really excited about what's coming up on December the 10th. We are very pro-marriage, and we're going to provide parents a night to get out and and to uh, really spend some time together. So from 4.30 to 7.30, we're going to provide childcare so that couples can get out and have a date together. So if you're a young couple and you'd like an evening out, this is your opportunity. And and for the rest of us, there's opportunities for us to, to bring some snacks or to serve. You can go to the QR code there and sign up for that. A great opportunity for you to reach out to people too, young couples, and and give them this opportunity. I did want to close. We spent the month of November, and we were a collection site for Operation Christmas Child. And at Good News, there were almost, there was 9,376 boxes collected. And let's give God thanks for that. And good news, we're, we're one church. We do have two campuses. And as a church, we had almost 1,000 boxes that were packed. So thank you so much for packing a box. What a... So there will be 9,376 gospel opportunities throughout the world because of uh, what you did. And so I'm, I'm going to pray for those boxes and for this time. Let's pray. Lord, you teach us to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and in everything to give thanks. For this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we're thankful that when we were dead, you raised us from the dead. Thank you. And when we were guilty, you washed our sins away and clothed us with your righteousness. And we're thankful that when we were powerless, you gave us the Holy Spirit. And we're thankful that we live in a country where we have the freedom to worship you. Lord, thank you for 9,376 boxes that were packed. And we pray as they go out that there would be 9,376 gospel opportunities. And your Holy Spirit would go with and many, many, many children would be one and discipled. And through the children into the parents. Lord, we're here today because we are a needy people and you know our needs, financial needs and relational needs and worries and struggles. Lord, meet us at our place of need. Lord, we're thankful for your word. We pray as we open your word together that you would forgive the one who speaks for his sins are many and Holy Spirit, you would help us to see Jesus. Lord, our nation has forgotten you. And so we pray for a revival. Lord, may it start with us. May it spread throughout our land. Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Lord, instead of saying, what's wrong with our country? Say, Lord, revive us. And may we be so full of joy that we spread your joy throughout our land so that people would remember you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.
Hey, we had a great uh, Thanksgiving that my wife, after running Thanksgiving for years and years, the kids took over this year, and that was great. And so we met, we rented a huge home in Orlando. We had five of our six kids there, most of our grandkids there, and it was so great to see the kids do all the work, and mom and dad got just to have kind of a free ride. We had a great time. Hey, I've got a really important Bible question for you this morning. And that question is, which biblical city, which biblical city opposed the COVID mask mandate? Damascus. <laughs> yeah, Damascus, okay? Hey, if you think that's bad, I recently heard 40 bad Bible jokes. So I am like armed for the next 40 weeks to, to torment you with those, okay? Um, I really wanted to remind you too that in, or announce to you that on December the 10th, we're going to have a congregational meeting. Uh, and the purpose of this meeting is to nominate and elect elders. Um, it, it will be immediately following both of our services. It'll be about five minutes long, both of those, but I, I wanted to prepare you for that meeting. So what we're going to spend our time in the message today is we're going to explore the biblical office of elder so that you're prepared to nominate and elect elders on that day. And so today's message is entitled, Aspire to Lead, because we want you, and especially the men in here, to aspire to lead. Uh, and, and so the point of today's message is we're going to look at how everything rises and falls with leadership. And, and I'm going to go ahead and give you the action step too. The action step is to indeed to aspire to lead. Because you know what? All of us long for good leadership, don't we? Don't we long for good leadership in our homes? Don't we want good leadership? And don't we long for good leadership in our church? We long for good leadership. And don't we long for good leadership in our land because everything rises and falls with leadership? And even on Saturdays, don't we long for good leadership? Because if you're a Gator fan like me, what, everything rises and it also what? It also falls with leadership? Imagine a church filled with people who aspire to lead that's what we're going to explore this morning. So if you turn in your Bible to Titus chapter 1, if your Bible is like mine, it kind of opens towards 2 Timothy. It's the very next verse. Did you know that all the T's are together? Thessalonians and then Timothy and then Titus. That Titus is one of the pastoral epistles that Paul is writing to Titus, who's a pastor equipping him to be a pastor, equipping him to be a disciple maker. So in Titus 1 verse 5, we begin, <clears throat> For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Now, in the book of Acts, there is no mention in Acts of Paul and, and Titus visiting Crete. And so what most people believed is when Acts ends, Paul is in prison, that Paul is released from prison. And then later, Paul and Titus, they go to Crete, they share the gospel in many cities. And Paul, Paul's model of operation, the way he would do things, is he would win people to Christ and then he would plant churches and appoint elders to oversee the church. And it seems like something happened to Paul and he needed to move on. 
So he left, he left uh, Titus behind so that he would appoint elders. Um, that he would appoint elders. Now this morning, I'm going to share with you two, two three C's. Two three C's. So I want you to remember these three C's. And the first, first, the first three C's have to do with what is a church? What is a church? So we're going to explore what is a church? A church is a cause. A church is a cause. Our, our purpose as a church is to make disciples. We come together around a common cause to make disciples. But a church is a community. Our purpose as a church is to make disciples. Help me. What? Together. The disciple-making is a team effort, and so we come together to make disciples together. But a church as well is a corporation. It's an organization. And Jesus has given... <clears throat> an authority structure. He's given leadership to the church. He's given a form of government to the church. In, in America, often when we hear the word government, people immediately think about the civil government. And so I tend to usually talk about self-government because that's the most important government, isn't it? That we learn to lead ourselves. So there's self-government and then there's Church. I mean, there's family government. God has set up an authority structure in the home. And then there is the church government, and elders are a part of that. And then there is the civil government. So here, we're going to learn about church government and about the office of elder in that church. The word elder in Greek is presbyteros, which means older. It has the idea that the leaders in the church are to be spiritually mature Man, the, so, so there's elders. I want you to notice as well that the leadership in, in, in a church is to be plural. There are elders. So part of the church government is the office of elder. The Bible says there should be elders in the local church, and then it gives us the qualification for those elders. Uh, appoint elders in every church as I directed you, namely... If any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife. And so the first quality in those that we are going to nominate in a couple of weeks and elect is the Bible says that elders in the church should be men. That as a church, we believe that God created us male and female. He created us male and female for a purpose and that God created men to be servant leaders in their home and in their church, and God created women to follow their servant leaders in the home and the church. Matter of fact, this states very clearly what we believe. We believe the Bible clearly teaches the primary responsibility for servant leadership in the home, and the church is reserved for men. Uh, matter of fact, we believe that when men are in their homes, that's good for the home. And when men are servant leaders leading their families toward Jesus, that's a good thing. And we believe in the church. When there's men in the church, that's a good thing. And when men are servant leaders and leading in their church toward Christ, that leads to human flourishing. If you're new, I know this might seem strange to you in our time, but I want you to know we're Christians. We're followers of Jesus, and we believe the Bible is the Word of God, and the Bible is very different from our culture. In Romans 12, <clears throat> verse 2, we read, And do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That when we look at what authority should look like in the home or in the church, we don't look at our culture, we read the Bible. Uh, by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove that which is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So as we nominate and elect elders, it's very important that, they're, that they are men. Going back, if any man is above reproach, um, the idea there is that a good leader is a good follower. So those that we nominate and elect as elders need to be followers of Christ, that they're following Jesus. Because the first person we learn to lead is ourselves. We learn to lead ourselves, and then we learn to lead in our families. Oh, Listen, elders should be the lead repenters in the church, that when they get following Jesus right, they give the credit to Jesus, and when they get it wrong, they're always repenting. Huh. If any man is above a reproach, notice what comes next, the husband of one wife, they should be one woman men. They should be faithful to their wives. They're the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. So, leaders follow Jesus and learn to lead themselves, and then they learn to lead their wives, and then they learn to lead their children. So I've got a question for you. This idea used to be reflected in our country. Uh, who was the first divorced president in America? Wow. Nobody knows. That's shocking. For 200 years... What the Bible says, that if a man can't manage his own family, how can he manage the church, was shared in our culture. But in 1980, President Reagan was the first divorced president, the 40th president of the United States, was the first person elected where people thought that someone who wasn't faithful to their wife would be faithful to a country. And there's been a huge change in our country. The Bible says... Listen, it's really important if we're going to have leaders that leaders are good followers. They're following Jesus and then they're, they're faithful to their wife and to their children. They're leading their family. Let me show you that's in uh, 1 Timothy 3 as well. The qualifications for an elder are given in two places, in Titus 1 and in 1 Timothy 3. Listen to 1 Timothy 3, 4. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? That view was shared in our, in our country for so long that if a person wasn't able to lead at home, why would you put them in charge of more things? And so in the church, those we nominate and elect as elders are, are men who are following Jesus, learning how to lead themselves, and then learning how to lead their wives and their children to follow Jesus. Um, for the overseer. Uh, now, the word changes from elder to overseer. So let me give you the words here. When, when you see elder, the word there is presbyteros, from which we get Presbyterian. A Presbyterian church has elders that are spiritually mature people. When he uses the term overseer, it's the word episcopus. That has to do with the function of an elder, which is overseeing. So when we speak about the character of an elder, they're mature. When we speak about the work of an elder, they're overseers. They oversee the work of the church. They govern and lead in the church. 
And what do we learn about them? The overseer must be above reproach. That's mentioned twice. Listen, a good leader is a good follower. The overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. They're stewards over the gospel. They're stewards over the church. And now we're told what the elder is not to be. When you nominate and elect, this is what they're not to be. Um, Not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious. I love that word, don't you, pugnacious? I mean, there are things as Christians we ought to fight for, aren't there? But some people in the church, they want to fight about everything. Don't, you don't want them as your elders. Not fond of sordid gain, not those who are in it for the money. That's what they're not to be. Well, what are they to be? But hospitable, they love people, right? Loving what is good. Uh, Sensible, they can be reasoned with, just, devout, They're they're devoted to Jesus, self-control, the right ordering of our passions. Now, what do they do? Holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he may be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. When it comes to nominating and electing elders, you want men who love God's word. They love God's word. They know God's word because what do elders do? They exhort, they teach sound doctrine, and they refute those who contradict. They protect the people from error. In 1 Timothy, in chapter 5, we read the elders. It's important to understand that The church is meant to be led by a plurality of elders, by a team of elders. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So elders do two things. They rule and they teach. They govern uh, and they lead. So at Good News Church, presently we have eight uh, ruling elders They're ordained, they're lay people, they're ruling elders, and we have two teaching elders. Dave, who's the campus pastor of our World uh, Golf Village campus, and I, we're ordained in the PCA as teaching elders. And teaching elders, we also rule with the ruling elders, and ruling elders also are, are to be able to teach, to exhort in sound doctrine, and to contradict those who refute. So, um... A church is a cause. We exist. We exist to make disciples. It's a community to do it together, and we're a corporation. We're to be led by elders who are able to lead God's people and to feed God's people and equip God's people and to refute those who contradict, uh, to protect God's people. So I shared with you the three C's, a cause, a community, and a corporation, And now we come to the second set of three C's. This has to do with elders. What kind of elders do you want to nominate? What kind of elders do you want to elect? Uh, Their character matters. Character matters. And then competency matters. There's certain skills and abilities they need to have. And then chemistry matters. So character matters, doesn't it? When we have people who oversee us, who rule over us, doesn't their character matter? Verse 7, for the overseer, the elder, the one who's ruling must be above reproach. Their character matters. 
as good stewards. They're a good steward of the gospel in church, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid good. Those are all character qualities. Here's more about hospitable. Here's what they are to be like. They're hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-control. Character matters. Competency matters. They're skills they need to have to lead the church and gifts. And what are they? Verse 9, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. They need to be people who love God's word. And, and, and they're equipped with God's word. So they're able to teach. They're able to refute. Indeed, they need to be men who are able to lead, lead by example, to feed, to teach people God's word. They need to be men who are able to equip others to be disciple makers. They need to be men who are able to protect God's people from false teaching. As we nominate people and elect, it's also important to understand that we as a church are a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. We're a local church of a denomination called the Presbyterian Church in America. And I, I want you to know the distinctives of our denomination. The first distinctive is we're true to the, faithful to the Scriptures, that the PCA has a very high view of Scripture, that we believe the Bible is the Word of God. We believe the Bible is inspired. It's God-breathed. It's inerrant. It's without error, that it's infallible, that it's trustworthy, totally trustworthy, that it's authoritative. It's the final word in faith and practice, and it's sufficient. It's everything we need to know, to, to know Christ and to be equipped for every good work is given in the Scriptures. The PCA is faithful to the Scriptures, uh, true to the Reformed faith. We're called to exhort in sound doctrine, so doctrine's important, and it's important that our elders agree with one another about doctrine. And so the Reformed faith, uh, the Reformed faith means the church is continually to be reformed to the Scriptures. We want to be continually become more and more faithful to the Scriptures, Reformed. Uh, two distinctives of the Reformed faith, one is we believe that God is sovereign, that God is large and in charge. We believe that, that we have a sovereign God. And we believe in what's called covenant theology, that the whole Bible is the unfolding of God's covenant of grace. Remember, remember when God found Abraham? God said to him, I will bless you, and in you all the nations will be blessed. One of your descendants will bring salvation to all the nations. We believe that's the story of the Bible. That God wants to bless a people and work through that people to bring the blessing of salvation to all the nations. So what makes the Presbyterian Church in America unique is we're faithful to the Scriptures, true to the Reformed faith, and we're obedient to the Great Commission. As a church, our purpose is to make disciples together. We want to elect men who are committed to the Great Commission, who are committed to winning and building and equipping and multiplying disciple-makers Ah, that's who we want to, to elect. So we've looked at the three C's, a community, a cause, and a corporation. We've looked at the three C's of an elder. We want to nominate and elect men of character who have competency. Oh, one more. I forgot this one earlier. Did I forget chemistry? I did, didn't I? Oh, that's the most important one. Ah, character, competency, and chemistry. 
Let me show you how important chemistry is. Um, verse 6, if any man is above reproach, the husband of uh, one wife having children who believe not accused of dissipation, listen, he gets along with his family. Uh, the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sword and good. They're able to get along with people. Hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout. Those all have to do with chemistry. I was, I was watching this week a special on the U.S. Special Forces, and it said the most important quality of the Special Forces... They did say chemistry, but they said is they're a team player. The most important quality for special forces is they can function on a team. They can lead and be led. And the most important quality of an elder is they're a team player, that they can work well with others to make disciples together. Character, competency, chemistry. Okay, so we've looked at the three C's of a church of an elder, and now we're ready for our action step, which I shared with you earlier, but we'll come back to, which is to aspire to lead, to aspire to lead. Let me show you that in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. We read, it is a trustworthy statement. When Paul says that, he says, this is really important. Don't miss this. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. Listen, that, that men ought to aspire to be leaders, to lead themselves and lead in their families and lead in their church. It's a good thing. And most churches would stop right here. Listen, men aspire to lead. And, and members, those of you who are members, nominate and elect good leaders. And those that are elders lead well. But a good news... Can we talk? It's not easy to do that, is it? That we really need Jesus, don't we? We need Jesus to follow. And you know what? We need Jesus to lead well, don't we? You see, the gospel teaches we have an authority problem. Did you know that? The, the bad news of the gospel is we have an authority problem. That problem is called sin. Let me show you that in Isaiah 53, verse 6. Listen, look at this verse. All of us, did you hear that? All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. So when we're called to follow, we don't follow well. Uh, we don't like our parents, do we? We don't like their authority. We want to do life our way. And when we're involved in a church, we don't like our leaders because we want to do life our way. And when we're in a country, we don't like our leaders because we don't like authority. And the reason we don't like authority is we don't like God's authority. And because of that, we've all committed crime after crime after crime against God by disobeying our parents, our church leaders, and our civil leaders. And when, when we're in positions of leadership, oh, we don't lead well either, do we? Sometimes as leaders, we're very weak and we're weak leaders, and we sin by being weak leaders, and sometimes we're bad because we're overbearing, but we get following wrong, and we get leading wrong. And that's what we mean when all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. The good news is we need Jesus to get authority right. 
We need Jesus to follow well, and we need Jesus to lead well. And that's who Jesus is. He's our Savior, that God the Son put on flesh and came to save us because we got authority all wrong. And you know what? Jesus followed well. He followed well. What did he say? I always do the things that are pleasing to him. When Jesus was called to follow, he always followed well. And when Jesus was called to lead, he always led well. He was a servant leader who gave and gave, led and served and served and then gave himself as a ransom for many, right? Talk about a servant leader. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him because we got authority all wrong. Our sins were placed on Jesus and the one who got authority right died in our place. He died for sinners, crying out, it is finished. He was buried, but he didn't stay dead. The third day he rose from the grave, proving he had conquered sin and death. And Jesus offers to us eternal life. You know what he offers us? Forgiveness for our sins. You know what he offers us? The chance to do life with him. He offers to move into us and help us get authority right. He offers to move into our lives, to take charge of our life so that we can follow well and lead well. And then he offers us the chance to live forever. And you know what he requires of us, right? That we believe in him, that we receive him as our Savior and Lord, right? Oh, listen to this, John 1 verse 12. But as many as received him, have you? To them he gave the right to become children of God, to forgive, to move in, to help us get authority right. To them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. You see, believing in Jesus is really as simple as ABC, where we admit and believe and commit. And as I walk through admit and believe and commit, boy, and, and you'd like to get authority right, you've, you've had it wrong, and you'd like to be forgiven and live forever, you can do that now, or as I close in prayer, I'll give you a chance. But man, when I heard the gospel and I thought of the hateful things I said to my mom and dad and I realized that I had gotten authority wrong and not only to my mom and dad but to my teachers, to my coach, to police, I had so rebelled against authority all my life. Anybody else ever disobey your parents? And that's why I was so glad to admit Jesus... <laughs> I have, I have not responded well to authority. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Won't you admit? And then I believed. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins because my sins are a big deal and, 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 and that you rose from the dead. Won't you believe? And then I committed. I said, Jesus, I can't fix myself. I need you. I want you to move in and be my savior and forgive me. And he did. And, and I want you to give me eternal life. And I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. Won't you? And you know what? When Jesus moved in, he began to change everything. And one of the things he changed was my view toward authority. That when my view towards God's authority changed, my view toward my parents, toward the police, toward my teachers, toward, it all began to change. Because grace isn't about Jesus lowering the standard. Grace is about Jesus moving into us and lifting us to the standard, giving us the desire and power that as followers we would follow well and as leaders we would lead well. When Jesus moves in, he says, follow me, right? 
follow me and I'll show you how to follow well. Just follow me. And then follow me and I'll show you how to lead well. So, if you're a member of the church, sometimes we're called to follow, right? And when we're called to follow, Jesus says, follow me and I'll show you, I'll show you how to follow well. Let me show you why leadership in the church is so important. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Did you know we're called sheep? Did you know that? Did you know that's not a compliment? When the Bible calls us sheep, it's saying that sheep are dumb and smelly and helpless. You ever see what happens to a sheep when it wanders away from the shepherd? You ever seen that? They get devoured by wolves. If we don't realize how easily we can wreck our lives, then we are about to wreck our lives. Listen, one of the most important things we can do after we find Jesus is find a local church and place ourselves under the leadership to protect us. Don't you hear what it says? Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. We need a church. We need elders to keep us from wrecking our lives. And so what I would like for you to do this week is I would encourage you to read 1 Timothy 3. I'd love for you to read Titus 1. And as you read those qualities, pray. Lord, who would you have me to nominate? Who do I see glimpses? Who do I see glimpses of that character and competence in chemistry that you could nominate? Because once you nominate them, then we'll train them. And then they'll be examined, and then they'll be ordained as, as elders. Who, who would God have you to nominate? And I know some of you say, but, but wait a minute, Smiley. Didn't Paul tell Titus to, to appoint them? Why do you say nominate and elect? Uh, well, when Paul went into an area, when the church first started, he would win people, he would disciple them, and then appoint them. But listen, as time went on, then people were able to... Uh, um, now I forgot, I've forgotten the word, to nominate and to elect their leaders. And besides that, the, the word of nominating does occur in the scriptures. Uh, you, you remember in Acts 1? In, in Acts chapter 1, the 120 were gathered together and uh, they had lost one of the 12 Judas. So here's what we read in Acts chapter 1, the idea of nominating and electing. Acts 1, verse 21, Therefore, Peter is speaking, Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they wanted to pick someone to replace Judas. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, uh, who was also called Justice and Matthias, and they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which of these two you have chosen. So they nominated men to occupy the ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. So they put forward Matthias to be the twelfth apostle. 
Um, remember too in Acts 6, in Acts 2, the, the, the church was divided between Greek-speaking Jewish Christians and Hebrew-speaking Jewish Christians. And, and the Greek-speaking said the Hebrew-speaking are getting better treatment. It's hard to get along, isn't it? It always has been and still is, and that's why we need Jesus. So in Acts 6, verse 2, So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. That the elders, they were to lead and feed and and equip and protect, and, and they were getting distracted, so they established the office of deacon. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation. He said, put forward seven people. What kind of qualities? Again, character, competency, and chemistry, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose. You see, the people chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, so they put them forward, and then after praying, they laid their hands on them, and they ordained them as deacons in the church. So I want you to read Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3. Lord, who would you have me to nominate? And, and then you will have a chance to nominate them on the 10th, and when you do that, then we'll provide the training for them and, and examine them and present them back to you for election. The next week, we'll put out who will be on the ballot, but one of the people on the ballot will be Strider. Strider, our disciple-making pastor, is in the process of being ordained as a teaching elder, and yet we think it would be helpful in him in carrying out his present ministry that he would be ordained as a ruling elder. He wouldn't be a part of our session, but he would have the authority that comes from being an ordained elder in the Church of Jesus Christ, so he will be one of the names on that ballot. So... For those of us who are members, Jesus is our model. He's our model for uh, following well, and, and we're going to nominate and elect elders on December the 10th. Now, for those of us who are elders and leaders, Jesus says to us, follow me, and I'll show you how to lead well. Follow me, follow me, and I will show you how to lead God's people and how to feed God's people and how to equip God's people and how to protect God's people. Uh, 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. I believe deep in the heart of every man there is a desire for greatness. That's why so many young boys dream about playing in the NFL one day or the NBA. But most people never have that opportunity. 
But Jesus provides nobodies the opportunity to become somebodies and to become great. That's why I'm so thankful to be a Christian, because Jesus offered a nobody like me an opportunity to be somebody. And I pray that every man in here would aspire to lead, would aspire to greatness. And if you aspire to greatness, it's okay to nominate yourself. It's a good idea to nominate yourself, because the Scripture says if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine thing he desires to do. And we would love to equip you for greatness. We'd love to equip you with the scriptures. We'd love to equip you with doctrine. We'd love to equip you with a competence so that you could lead God's people and that you could feed God's people and you could equip God's people and you could protect God's people. Men, wouldn't it be a great to be a church where every man longed for greatness. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so thankful that you came to save sinners. Lord, thank you for following well. Thank you for leading well. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins and rising again and offering us eternal life. Listen, if you've not gotten authority right, both as a follower or a leader, I mean, Jesus is here. Won't you ask him for help? Won't you say, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. Oh, I want you to be Lord of my life and Help me be the person you want me to be. Well, if you've done that for the first time, way to go. Won't you mark that on your card? Huh. Put it in the box. Jesus, we're so thankful that you've forgiven us and that you've moved in. Lord, all of us are called to follow at times. Lord, help us to follow you as our model for how to follow well. And Lord, all of us at times are called to lead. We're called to lead ourselves. Lord, help us to follow you as our model, to be a leader, to lead ourselves and our family. Lord, I pray that on the 10th that, that you would move in, that we would nominate men and we would elect those that you would have to rule over us. Lord, I pray that all of us would aspire to greatness, that we wouldn't want to waste our lives, that we would aspire that we would aspire to greatness. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.